Create the world in six days. On the seventh day, he rested. On the eighth, he resurrected. Come collect all souls elected to be perfected. If I had a blank check with it, I'd buy me a pearl. I'd rather have eternal life than riches in this world. Not to mention fame, which is the same as Bangalore. Nothing changes to the age, it's all the same story. God's people are beautiful, we have hearts to feel. Lay a treasure up in heaven where it's hard to steal. I work hard, but still, I don't get no rest. Unless I take up this cross, I wear about my neck. God's people are beautiful. We have hearts to feel. Lay your treasure up in heaven where it's hard to steal. I work hard, but still I don't get no rest. Unless I take up this cross, I wear about my neck. the heart. I'm an artist unsigned, very far from the start. I got into this to change the whole world. Now it's me who went from something to nothing. I see myself play a part. My role to specialize, but I'm no doctor or lawyer. I'm a warrior. My sword is a spirit. I say a prayer and keep knocking on doors like no one's there. God's people are beautiful, we have hearts to feel. Lay your treasure up in heaven where it's hard to steal. I work hard, but still I don't get no rest. Unless I take up this cross, I wear about my neck. God's people are beautiful, we have hearts to feel. Lay your treasure up in heaven where it's hard to steal. I work hard, but still I don't get no rest. Unless I take up this cross, I wear about my neck. Back in time, I was hurting outside of the church. I wasn't working in my free time, searching in my mind. I was certain of one thing. Perfect as it was, it was love. And I wasn't ready to settle for less. He took a death on the cross to settle the debt. He put the devil to shame and came back the third day for the sake of God's people who believe in the name. God's people are beautiful, we have hearts to feel. Lay a treasure up in heaven where it's hard to steal. I work hard, but still I don't get no rest. Unless I take up this cross, I wear about my neck. God's people are beautiful, we have hearts to feel. Lay a treasure up in heaven where it's hard to steal. I work hard, but still I don't get no rest. Unless I take up this cross, I wear about my neck. All right, here we go. Uh, so uh, thank you for joining us, everybody. Welcome to my Icon Corner. And I am here today with Macarius Johnson. And uh, so I saw that Macarius had, uh, he put out a, uh, a basically a documentary. It was a, a YouTube video on his channel, Orthodox Soul. And I found, when I noticed that he was talking about how he was a rapper, I thought immediately I have to bring him on to my show because, uh, of course, I was a rapper, as many of you know, I, uh, you know. So uh, w welcome to my channel, Macarius. 
you're muted. Sorry about that. Yeah. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, for a long time, I was, uh, I was able to say that, you know, before I heard, had heard about your rap and I listened to some of your stuff for a long time, I was able to say I was the best Orthodox Christian rapper. And the reason I was able to say that was because I was the only one that I knew of that was a Christian Orthodox rapper. But I have to say, when I uh, heard some of your music, it was quite evident that you are uh, more skillful on the mic than I am. So I can I don't I, I don't think I can any longer say that. Well, I appreciate the feedback, man. I'm glad that you uh support the music and one thing i will say that you have going for you is you know from going through your channel a little and listening to some of the stuff you were doing 10 years ago at least your content was consistently christian in nature whereas mine is not stuff that i would recommend anybody listen to if they go back in the archives <laughs> oh gotcha yeah, yeah well you know before i became orthodox of course i was rapping too and of course that stuff if that ever got out you know, if people heard that stuff, it would be, uh, I would have to confront, there were some pretty um, unsavory things that I was saying. Yeah. So I completely, uh, I completely understand uh, what you're saying. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you. So, um, so give us, well, you know, the standard way to start a show is for me to ask guests, please, please introduce yourself. So say something about yourself for the audience, please. Yeah, sure. Well, for those who um, haven't seen the testimony, uh, I was, you know, not raised in a Christian household or anything like that. So um, finding my way to the to the faith and to the church was quite the journey. And I uh, read a lot of different literature over the years, spent some time dabbling in philosophy pretty heavily. And um, that gave a lot of context to me for certain thoughts and ideas and questions I'd had growing up that weren't really being provided for me since uh, I didn't have anyone in my life that I could ask or talk to about those things. And so, but of course, naturally, without having that proper guidance, I sort of drifted in various different directions and ended up sort of having a you know, piecemeal sort of worldview where I had some elements that were new age um, or pagan or Gnostic or whatever label you want to ascribe to it. And uh, not anything that I necessarily adhered to or practiced in any kind of dogmatic way. It was just, you know how it is. You know, I just sort of put together some framework that I mm -hmm. could to sort of give some meaning to it, even though it wasn't coherent. And uh, that was just me for a long time. And uh, that was reflected in the music that I put out. I had some sort of loose spiritual sense, but uh, I, I, I definitely made my share of like very blasphemous references in the old music. And uh, it pains me to listen to because the bars were catchy, but hmm. it was just like wildly inappropriate, you know, and, but that's what I was going for. I, that's, you know, the, the type of art I was trying to do was intentionally provocative. And uh, yeah, it took a while for me to get to where I am 
now. But you eventually did make some songs with Christian Christian theme, right? Yeah, yeah. A uh, a a point in time right after I had confessed Christ um, out loud for the first time, although I had yet to discover orthodoxy, I uh, started putting an album together, and it was during that time that I could start to really feel this internal resistance because the old self was being put to death. But that was the only way that I knew how to make music was sourcing from this sort of dark energy. Hmm. And so for a while I was really between a rock and a hard place. I was kind of like trying to go against the grain. It was like against my nature to try and put together music that was either wholesome or just without those elements. But eventually, um, as I committed to, to much prayer and just really trying to listen to other artists that much like you, you know, said a moment ago that I had to recognize were better than me at their craft, especially when it came to incorporating biblical terminology or themes and uh, just seeing the way that they put it together. And that really helped me see that, OK, this is possible. You know, I can. I don't have to choose one or the other. You can do both. Sure. Yeah. I remember there was, like you said in that testimony that there was like a, that you had a period of time where you couldn't come up with, uh, you were having, you're struggling to write rhymes because you were like shifting from the old way to the new way of, you know, of thinking. Uh, I remember I had that, um, I sort of had a phase like that. And, um, you know, before I came out with my album, uh, when I first entered uh, the church, you know, there was a time when I thought I was done, I'm putting away rap, but then, you know, actually, you know, with um, encouragement from my spiritual father, I actually went and went ahead and actually made a, an album. I should have brought it out, brought it out to show people, but um, like I'm back from back in the day when you actually made a CD. Right. Did you ever do that? Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh you got, Okay. Okay. Did the whole like, you know, graphics design and print out our own okay, you know, okay. covers and all that stuff. Yeah, I thought man. it might have been by your generation. I thought it might have been all digital. But... <laughs> so like, um, OK, so you mentioned the testimony and here's this is a good comment. Uh, where was it? So on Light of Tabor, Mark Rattel says that testimony is out of this world. So the testimony he's talking about is this it's basically a documentary, you know, it's like most, most YouTubers have a, an episode on their channel where they go and they say, my, it's, it's the, my journey to orthodoxy video. Right. And, but what everyone else does is they just sit in front of a camera. Like I did. I, I made one of these episodes. You sit in front of the camera in front of your bookshelf and you tell your story and it gets, it gets more views than your average you know, YouTube puts it, pushes it out and people like to watch those. Mm -hmm. But Macarius, when he like, he like outdid everybody, he blows everybody out of the water with this. And I want everybody to go watch it. You know, I've linked to his channel below. It's like a two and a half hour documentary. And he posts, puts, he's got like film that he's saved from over the years from him rapping and photographs. And he tells the story and he puts it all together. It's like, a, it's like a movie. It's not a YouTube. It's not a YouTube video. It's like a movie. I'm, I'm, so I want to, uh, so everybody knows what I'm. He has a. I'm going to bring up a. Uh, what is it? An, 
what do you call the um, trailer? Yeah, so we're gonna play the trailer so you guys know what the idea about this was. Um, and so then to pique your guys' curiosity. Okay, so there you guys see uh, the path of self-denial aptly named. Um, so all you guys, all you other Orthodox YouTubers out there, you guys got to uh, watch out for these young people up and coming because they know how to use, they know how to use technology and video editing, editing and so forth. And so we've got, we got to watch us. We got to, uh, we have to do our, we have to, uh, we have to bring it up a notch, fellas, because this is who's coming at your heels. Um, so uh, you got this. So you've got some skills. It looks like with uh, with editing and video videography and stuff. Where did you learn all that? Yeah, that started back in I guess 2010 when I went to uh, the Musicians Institute in Hollywood to learn audio engineering because I wanted to get more serious with music. And that's where I met the boys that we all, you know, formed our rap group together in. And naturally we wanted to start putting videos together for those songs. And uh, so we just ended up getting all the, you know, stuff we needed, the, the, the camera. And I think my buddy got like a, like a bootleg version that he ripped of Final Cut. And so we were running. Final Cut? Final oh, that's Cut, a... yeah. It's a, it's an editing software. Okay, yeah. Okay. And, um, and so he gave that to me as well, and I just started playing around with it. And it just sort of, from the first video I tried, I, I sort of naturally uh, felt my way around and just kind of knew, um, I don't know, it's just like that artist eye kind of thing. You know, I didn't really take classes. I just kind of figured it out. And okay. um, there's certain things that, you know, I could definitely be better at, more proficient uh, if you were to take classes and, you know, learn all the ins and outs. But for your, your basic purposes and things like that. Um, yeah, that's really where I went. And honestly, I really wasn't planning on doing what I did with this testimony. Like you described, I, I had originally planned on just sitting in front of the camera and doing a one shot take sort of format and just keep it real simple. And as I started writing the outline for the testimony, I would get little images of things popping up in my mind. And so once I started getting ideas, I realized I could conceivably do some of this and stitch it together. And then it just kind of snowballed and went from there, you know, so not, not what the original intent was, but um, once I had the full thing 
visualized i was like well i guess i just got to go all out now and just it was like a it was a solid 400 hours worth of of work poured in combined probably roughly i'd say wow so it shows and um and you didn't how did you like did did you have to do any promotion because it's got a lot of views um like did it just the algorithm pick it up or or what happened? yeah it must have been man um apart from the the trailer um i didn't i mean i dropped it on facebook once or twice and it got like <laughs> you know 10 to 20 likes and a couple of comments and uh, I was not expecting much. I thought maybe it'd have a couple of hundred views. And um, I was hoping, though, that the quality would carry it a little bit mm -hmm. and add a little momentum. So I'm assuming that's what happened. And that helped it get around the algorithm and it started getting recommended in yeah. uh, people's feeds. Yeah. Right. So uh, good job with that. And you uh, mentioned that you were with a rap group. This yeah. is a... Uh, that was the Killbots, right? The Killbots, yeah. So you got you met a group of people at this school. Yeah, my buddy Johnny, I had known since um, 2006, and he was the one that was going to go to the Musicians Institute, and he was going to take a tour. So one day he was like, "Yo, you want to go with me and see if you want to go to this school?" And that's how I ended up going. So I knew him already, and we started going there in 2010. And that's where we met Vince, who was the other guy in the group. And I'm the one that met Vince and introduced him to Johnny. And then we all started uh, just hitting the studio, man, putting that music together, you know. So were there, was it three MCs yeah. in the group? Okay. And you guys, for the for the audio tracks, did you put, like, was, did you all contribute to that? Or how did, where'd you get the... It depends. Um, w different albums we put together differently. So some we were, you know considering more along the mixtape lines where we just found instrumentals that we liked online and compiled, you know, projects that way. Others were uh, a combination of things that I produced and then Vince produced and then another buddy of mine. And we'd throw those all together okay. and mix and master the whole thing. So those were, there were a couple of projects where it was like all hundred percent original work. Hmm. Yeah. And did you have a, like a rap background before that this is so how old were you maybe how old were you at the time like uh i think it was 20 when i started 20. going to mi and yeah. me and johnny started making music together in 2006 i had started a little earlier than that something i didn't mention in the testimony i think around maybe 2001 or two ish whenever eight mile came out and everyone was like okay so i'm gonna be a rapper now is, was that what happened with you? Pretty much, yeah. So, um, I, I mean, back in those days, though, you know, I I had not been exposed to any of the underground scene until when I met Johnny in 06. Hmm. So, in terms of, like, craft and flow and style, I did not have any exposure to that. I had no access to, you know, help formulate and give me any kind of impression of what I should be doing. And so, I mean, it was just like real bare bones stuff. I mean, I'm talking like we were taking a little keyboard and holding the microphone to the speaker on the keyboard and making beats that way. Like not even MIDI direct into the, you know, edit to, to the to the software. It was just like we just wanted to do something, you know. So we started then technically, but it didn't get serious until later on when I met Johnny in 06. 
Yeah. Well, you know what? I mean, if you're like a really talented musician, I figure you could probably make something sound good, even if you were using like those kind of techniques. Um, I remember who was the rapper that won like the there's this rapper that won this. I remember when I first went to college, that was when rap, uh, Napster was big. Right. And Napster, um, this free downloading, you know, you could download mp3s for free for the first time and everyone was going crazy with that and napster had this they had this what was it called a uh they had a competition where you submit a song and um you know whoever won the song won mm -hmm. like, i don't know what it, the, i don't know what the prize was a thousand dollars or something like that and the guy who the guy who won it he like i remember seeing this photo i still remember that song it was a really good song, but he was showing up the microphone that there's a photo of him with the microphone he used. And it was kind of like looked like this. And he was he just had a photo of him holding the microphone in his hand like this, smiling like, you know, he made it on his home computer with a little microphone that comes with the computer. So if you're like, you know, if you're talented and you're a good musician, you can make it sound good. Oh, yeah. It, it'll be just raw, you know, mm -hmm. like a raw sound, not polished to it. But you can like make something sound good and appealing to the ear, you know, if you're if you really are, know what you're doing. But, um. Yeah, that was the draw for me going to get my uh, certification in audio engineering was that, you know, when you go to these schools, they've got, I mean, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands do of dollars worth of equipment, um, professional equipment in grade A studios with all the all the works, you know, and they've got outboard gear, which for anyone that's unfamiliar, if you're editing in you know, uh, a digital audio workspace, you've got plugins, right? Like your compressor and your equalizers, but at a studio, an actual studio, you've got the physical outboard gear that that plugin represents. And so that's what is going to process all your sound and make it sound great. But what's beautiful is that if you have the, the training and you know how to, you know, work your way around the editing software, then even if you've got um, really crappy, you know, equipment like I do, <laughs> you can still make it sound pretty good without anyone that doesn't have a trained ear. Um, they're going to be none the wiser for the most part. And so you got this group together and you guys started to do performances, right? Yeah. Um, we got with, uh, another guy that was also going to MI at the time. And, um, he had some uh, prior experience in, uh, in, the, in the industry, and he was sort of just taking the course to brush up on his skills. Um, he already, you know, was working under somebody, and he was in his own studio environment and all that. So we kind of hooked up with him, and he had, you know, the ability to help us network. And so we started getting some, some ins with certain uh, venues and, and playing shows pretty consistently. Um, although anyone who's an artist knows it's, uh, it's not like you just, you know, step on the scene and immediately you're, uh, selling out venues. You know, it's, it's a lot of it is playing to like empty bars and, you know, <laughs> sure. there were, there were a small handful of shows we played where it was like pretty packed hmm. and, uh, whether it was a party or a venue, um, we, we got a, a handful of those under our belt, but most of it was, it was just for the fun of it and for the experience. You know? Okay. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember. Well, like, I never, like, did. So you were, like, would you have your own show ever? Or was it, like, opening up for people? Or how did that work? Like, yeah, we had um, a couple of shows where we opened up for some some pretty big names. For uh, uh, We struggled to remember these off the top of my head because we were always, you know, partying before the shows back then. But uh, Corrupt was one. Uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony, Cypress Hill, um, uh, what's her name? Something Hayes, I forget. Anyway, yeah, a couple of a couple of well-known names, at least uh, in the underground scene. And then, you know, my my boys in the Killbots, they also went and played a number of shows at Coachella that I wasn't particularly there for. I wasn't present for those shows. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so how about we have a conversation now talking about rap and orthodoxy? Yes. Um, this is kind of a question that comes up. So when I had my album out, I had, um, I had, this is a story I've never really told in full, but um, on my YouTube channel, but my bishop, uh, contacted my priest and said when he found out about the music, cause it was kind of people were, it was being shared online, you know, um, it got, it got some, a, a little bit attracted a little bit of attention, like on YouTube at the time. And he contacted my priest and said, uh, this is, uh, basically, uh, not a spiritual, not an edifying activity. And so I think, you know, he probably has a poor, um, a poor uh, view of rap itself as a genre, as an art, artistic art form. Sure. Yeah. You know, and I can see, I can see why someone would say that, um, you know, if, if your if your exposure to rap is, you know, you saw, you know, back in the early, maybe in the 1990s when, you know, or, or late 80s when NWA was out and gangster rap was hit the scene and all the news was these uh, violent, vile gangster types. And that's what you saw. You never really, I mean, you never might have been exposed to some of the more artistic, creative. I think there are some beautiful things that are done um, in rap. Some really, really redeeming, you know, you can redeem the art form. What are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I totally agree. You know, um, what actually kept me from getting more serious, um, as I mentioned, I had actually dabbled with it earlier than 2006. But what kept me from getting more serious was that there was nothing that really um, that I had been exposed to for me to gravitate towards. Uh, it was sort of the, you know, the beginning of the Dirty South era. And um, you had prior to that, you know, I mean, what was there? There was like, just there, there was nothing that really spoke to me personally. And as far as um, gangster rap goes, and I guess what would dominate, I don't even know what dominates nowadays. Um, it was, you know, trap music and all that when I was last in on the scene. But I mean, these, these things change so quick that I can't <laughs> even keep up. I don't even know half these artists' names anymore these days. But anyway, yeah, I... Uh, I, I would agree that, you know, there was a certain impression that I had also myself. And then when I discovered the underground scene and realized that there was this whole uh, 
what I heard one person once call like street poetry. It was like this very eloquent and poetic and very vivid um, aspect that was highly lyrical and message driven. And um, that's not to say there weren't still explicit elements to it, but there was just so much more substance there that I immediately was like, okay, hold on, what's this, you know? Same right. thing that happened to me later on with Christianity, where I had never heard of apologetics and realized there was all this intellectual aspects there. You know, it's a very similar theme with music. So as long as you can find that harmony and, you know, balance um, what you're trying to say with what your experience has been in life, you know, even if it's... You know, it could be things that were potentially dark or, um, you know, very even things that were demonic. There is a way that you could convey that in song that isn't that could be edifying, you know, that is going to be uplifting. And that I mean, I've seen this in, you know, comment sections of certain artists where people say, wow, your song really got me through this hard time. Yeah. Or wow, really helps to feel some sense of solidarity dealing with this struggle with addiction or with this loss of a loved one or whatever it is. Um, and if we were to, as Orthodox, concede that that's not something that we're allowed or supposed to engage in, given the modern setting that we live in right now, I think we'd be ceding a really huge area of of witness and evangelism that is potentially available. Well said. I, uh, I, you know, for people, I, I do want to, you did mention the, the, the apologetics and that stuff. I do want to get into that a little bit later, but um, for me, like when I was, I remember in college, I like listening to, you know, and, like, for example, Tupac was like one of my biggest influences and he was well, a really well-read individual. He read a lot of philosophy and things like that. And, you know, he read about spiritual traditions and stuff. And he would he would slide that in there um, into his into his verses, mm -hmm. you know, and that was like part of like what drew me to that. And it was like so it was almost like an awakening experience, you know, listening to that kind of stuff, you know, and so. Yeah. Uh, like, where do people get their ideas from in our modern society? You know, where do they get their philosophies from? A lot of people, it's just from some song that they liked. You know, some someone writes a song and they, it, there's a certain there's a certain philosophy behind what they said. You know, it's and uh, and they la they latch onto it. And so there's no reason you can't plant seeds and use it. Um, you know, use it for uh, use it for glorifying God's you know God's kingdom. Um, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's definitely a spirit of, of nihilism that is incredibly prevalent in today's culture. And I think, uh, you know, as the scripture says that um, God's sheep hear his voice, right? So you've got people in your generation and mine and the ones coming up under us that are actually starving to hear the truth. They're starving to hear something of substance and quality 
that they just haven't had the opportunity to be exposed to yet. Um, it's, you know, it's up to us to figure out how to do that. I mean, any, as far as I'm concerned, what makes a great artist is someone that's able to tell a story while also being catchy. Um, there are varying degrees to which, you know, we can achieve that. And, uh, what the industry finds to be most marketable is not always going to be the people that are telling the truth, you know, that are saying what is going to uphold traditional values and morals. Um, but every now and then, you know, all it takes like this Oliver Anthony character that just recently blew up, all it takes is just for the right person to hear it or for it to just get around that algorithm. And then it just gets shared to whoever it is that needs to hear it, you know? And then there's so many of us that realize that what the industry says and what the media says aren't necessarily representative of the reality, right? There are actually many more of us out there that feel a certain way. And as soon as you come into contact with that, it's all the more encouraging and edifying to realize, oh, thank goodness I'm not alone. Okay, there are actually people out there that are, equally hungry to hear this and to tell it. So, okay, let's uh, move on to the um, topic of this, uh, the apologetics. So you got into, you tell this story in your, uh, in your, in your documentary that you got into philosophy when you were in school. Um, I wanted to mention, actually, first of all, like you, you, you were explaining this, uh, a moment in your documentary where you're telling the story about you were a kid and you started like philosophizing, mm -hmm. having these philosophical ideas run through your mind. And I, I really identified with that part of the movie because that, that like brought me like right back to when I was a kid. And I had like a very similar moment. I remember I was like walking home from school and I was like having these thoughts about, you know, there's something about like um, life is life is just uh, a, a series of moments, but you're always in the present moment. They just, and, and then I just like, it was, my mind was so blown that I had to just sit down on the curb and like stop walking home and like, just like <laughs> stare up at the sky for a moment. You red pilled yourself, bro. <laughs> <laughs> it is red pilling. Yeah. This was kind of like what you're just saying about like, you know, um, just opening up people's, you know, shattering the, the worldview that people might have been brought up with or something. Um, and then you get into philosophy in school. Now, philosophy, like uh, academic philosophy or a philosophy as a discipline was never something that I got into that I'm, I'm sort of, I'm not really hardwired that like my brain doesn't really work that way. Yeah. But can you tell me some something about that experience that you had you know, like being opened up to these ideas in college and then maybe relate that to how how you how that applied when you became aware of Orthodox Christianity. Yeah, sure. So um, just touching back on what you referenced as I was having these sort of thoughts in my youth. Um, one thing I mentioned in the testimony is I gave an example. I gave a handful of examples of the kind of questions I was asking at that time when I was six or seven. And then I clarified that this isn't necessarily the language I was using in my head, but there was one thing that was almost verbatim worded the same at the time then. And that question then was, why isn't there just nothing? And 
the way that I tried to picture that in the abstract gave me the sort of the same sort of, you know, red pill moment, this sort of existential just pause where something didn't quite add up. I was like, there, how come it's not just nothing? Why is there something, right? So those sorts of questions um, served as a sort of bedrock that just stayed there in my memory to look back on once I take, uh, started taking philosophy classes. And it was really interesting for me to have those memories to look back on in retrospect and go, oh, wow, that's what I was thinking. These things that these philosophers from centuries and millennia ago were dealing with, that's what was happening to me, right? I was, um, I was asking the big questions, right? The, the how ought we then live kind of questions. What's the purpose? What's the meaning? And because I'd had no context um, for any of this prior to that moment, I hadn't even been aware of what the questions were, let alone known how to articulate them. Hmm. So I uh, would like to say I, you know, took a lot more than I did and got into, you know, years and years of it and uh, got my master's and all of that and my doctorate. But I really just did the bare bones, the basics, you know, I just, I took, um, a, a course in ancient Greek philosophy and got exposed to who all of the philosophers were and the sort of timeline from, I guess what we'd call the beginning, like the first philosophers that started to ask these kind of questions. And, uh, and then from there onward, and a lot of people call it a conversation as we look back now, because you've got one guy that comes along and he asks something or makes a point. And then the next guy in succession comes along and either makes a different point or uses the previous guy's point as a springboard to say, actually, I think it's more like this. It's not that creation is earth, wind, fire, and air. Actually, it's matter. All of these things are matter. And they were kind of trying to figure out what the universal principle was. How could they unite the one with the many that was the idea and so for me this was like just totally blowing my mind and expanding my my worldview in ways that i just i didn't realize were possible prior to that you know and um i really appreciated that uh once again i could identify with others that helped me realize I wasn't alone. You know, I wasn't the only one that felt it was prudent to ask these kind of questions because up to then in my life, pretty much everyone just went through their life seeming like it just is what it is. You know, don't think about it too deeply. Just, you know, go to work, watch TV, da, 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 whatever. And um, that's why I had found myself sort of, despairing at times you know as i cover in the testimony and so the uh pardon me the context of philosophy really helped me to categorize some of these thoughts and put things in certain bins and that would later serve as 
the necessary, what I view now as the necessary foundation for theology to make a lot more sense because it's not dissimilar in so many ways. There are ways that they're really, uh, they go hand in hand. They're really interwoven, a lot of these schools of thought. Um, and it's an interesting thing looking back. Uh, my, a buddy of mine actually sent me an icon of the ancient Greek philosophers with Peter and Paul down at the bottom holding the sure. church. And they're the only two with the, with the uh, halos. But I thought it was really cool to see these philosophers in an icon. Um, I had studied orthodoxy for years and didn't know that kind of icon existed. But it was, for me, it was sort of heartwarming to know that even those who were outside of the church and had not explicitly affirmed or embraced our traditions could still be depicted in a way as, you know, these men who, without even having had direct access to revelation, were still grasping at something, right? As, as God said, I will put my word in their hearts. It sort of almost spoke to that to me to see that icon, like it was being recognized by the church. There were thinkers and there were people out there that were grasping for the truth and trying to find God. And as we see later then in the scripture, when Paul comes to, um, you know, the Greeks and says, you've got this statue of the unknown God, you're right to, you know, speak of him for there is a God that you don't know. So for me, coming into um, the faith and encountering apologetics for the first time and seeing that Christianity could be rationally defended an idea I never would have considered in the past. I just assumed everything was all just superstition and this was all just obsolete, just people that were, you know, ignorant and just clinging to old ways and didn't know any better. You know, they just believed it because that's how they were raised. And um, here come, you know, here I come along and I totally break that stereotype as someone who was not raised in that tradition at all and uh, found myself resonating with these teachings in scripture and in the faith more than anything else, because it made all of those old philosophical principles actually coherent. It gave them something to ground them in because it wasn't just this ambiguous notion of God or gods that sort of existed in the abstract realm, like Plato sort of conceptualized where there's this detached reality somewhere else right that he wanted to use to ground this reality in um and that never really did it for me you know it mm. it, it just nothing stuck i i had all of these ideas and they were um useful in some way in some capacity but there was no ultimate you know there was no divine revelation that was really there so when you watching your videos, it, it seemed like you were when you finally did come into contact with orthodoxy, it sounded like you were um, what was draw, drawing you was the beauty of the services, the reverence, uh, that kind of thing. Was it also um, a reason and, you know, rationality with were, were those part of your what convinced you of the truth of orthodoxy? And if so, what was the, the logic that you were following that did convince you that it was true? 
Yeah. So um, I was pretty much aware of orthodoxy almost from the beginning. Uh, there was maybe a year span of time where uh, I was just sort of, you know, just going sort of in the dark and hadn't opened the Bible, hadn't started going to any church, even a, you know, Protestant church yet. Um, I was just very vaguely Christian, whatever that meant. I was, it was all new, you know, and I didn't have anyone there to uh, walk me through it. But um, a buddy of mine did tell me about the church pretty early on. So even while we were attending a Protestant church and I was listening to mostly Protestant pastors and apologists and learning theology on that side, which I'm grateful for now because I have that to contrast to, right? And I was able to later see where the areas of error were in my own system from what I had been learning. So the first thing that drew me was when my friend told me, I, I forget if he used the term the one true church or if he said that this church has actual unity. It's just one, right? I think it was something along those lines was the first thing that really uh, grabbed my attention and, and resonated with me was this idea that there was not division and that it also had ancient roots. So those two things combined grabbed my interest, um, followed by listening to Rock and Sand by Father Josiah Trenum, uh, just the interview version. And he made a lot of really good points that exposed even more of my blind spots um, that were showing that there were questions I hadn't even thought to ask because of how widely ignorant I was of the history of the church, which was something I just didn't think was relevant. I didn't realize that that actually mattered. Um, I hadn't thought to investigate that or ask those questions. So as I listened to that and a number of other things, um, it put a pebble in my shoe, as it were, and that never went away, even as I continued going to uh, our Protestant church and continued listening to Protestant apologists. Um, I was always in the back of my mind. I almost want to use the word convinced of orthodoxy, even though I had almost no in-depth knowledge of the theology or the history yet. There was just something about it that seemed very authentic to me. Mm. Right. So. Um, yeah, as time went on and I started getting into the theology, the very last thing that I was actively studying in Protestantism just prior to me switching focus and saying, OK, it's time for me to really get serious with orthodoxy was the doctrine of penal substitutionary atonement. And as any Christian knows, whether you're Catholic, Protestant or Orthodox, what you believe about the atonement and about salvation is central to the faith. So I was trying to see what the distinction was between the two views. As I started getting more serious with orthodoxy, I was trying to understand how is this view different? And 
I guess because of certain presuppositions I had, I wasn't really able to discern the differences immediately. I read On the Incarnation by St. Athanasius, and that sort of helped reorient my perspective a little bit in terms of it not being a necessarily legalistic view of the atonement, but more of a healing of the nature of man and a restoration um, of, of that relationship between human and the divine. But there was still something that just bothered me and was missing, and I, I couldn't grasp why are they saying on the Orthodox view that the Protestant view is actually heretical? What could it be that's actually wrong in this view? That's what I wanted to get to the bottom of, not to just know why this one is right, but why the other one is wrong. And so the more I got into that and um, got into the councils, the ecumenical councils, excuse me, and uh, started learning about the various heresies that cropped up over the centuries um, from Arianism to Nestorianism to Apollinarianism and all the rest of them. Um, that helped start the process of grasping what the distinctions were. And then there was one day I listened to a video that somebody had clipped, a like 19-minute video of Jay Dyer talking about the view of the atonement in Protestantism and the light bulb went off. And I think I was actually, I was either a catechumen already by that point or had been just recently baptized. And somehow it took all that time for that light bulb to, to go off. I don't know what it was. I actively study apologetics. I understand the theology pretty well but I just hadn't heard it in exactly the right way for me to go, oh, now I get it. Okay, mm -hmm. this is why this is an error. And I won't get into the specifics, but that's just one example. And there were a lot of others that over time, um, coming out of the Protestant way of thinking, I can understand why a lot of people have a struggle because there are unknown unknowns right? There are the, the blind spots you have, you don't even know that they're blind spots. And so you struggle to reconcile certain areas of theology because you're not aware of which things you're actually clinging on to still and which ways of thinking that you need to surrender. You are, like you said in your uh, video, you are well, very well spoken. Um, and I, I'm just going to chalk that up to uh, you being a rapper because rapping is, <laughs> you know, you become a rapper. You be, is, you have a lot of, uh, you have a lot of practice uh, in putting what's in your heart onto paper, you know, or what's in your mind and articulating. It's a really actually like a, like if you become a rapper, you're, it's like getting a black belt in karate almost, but it's with verbal skills. You know, what's funny, um, I grew up, I, I was, you know, the last kid in kindergarten to be able to read. I was the only one that didn't know how to read and write because I joined school late. And then in, I think it was second or third grade when uh, Cisco came out and that thong song was real hot. I was the only one in the class that was not musically inclined. I didn't listen to the radio ever. 
So there's a distinct memory I have where everyone in the class, except for me, every other kid suddenly broke out into song like a scene from a movie. <laughs> I swear it was like a scene from a movie. All of them start singing this song and I'm literally standing at the back of the group just like, what is happening right now? I had no idea what was going on. What are they all singing? How do they all know this thing? Did I miss a day of class where we practiced this? What's going on? And so, you know, it's just, it's interesting you say that because for all intents and purposes, I was everything but a wordsmith at the beginning of life. You know, I had no musical background and didn't, you know, I was a latecomer to reading and writing. And um, I don't know, it just in a way it speaks to me to that, you know, that that biblical principle that God will use the foolish things to confound the wise and the weak to conquer the strong. You know, I was the one that was lyrically inept for, <laughs> you know. Oh, OK. Yeah. So like David and Goliath. you think Exactly. Um, yeah. 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 I'm Rappers are definitely like the our American samurais the samurai of our country are rappers um so uh let's see what was i gonna i'm oh you know that story you tell us that's actually kind of almost horrifying that uh, how, how old were you what grade was that that second grade you said or from from which one when you're singing everyone was singing the thong oh song. yeah yeah that was like probably probably third grade maybe third, fourth, like a, you know, I mean, just just yeah. that a bunch of third graders are singing the thong song yeah. that's like very that's um the people in russia are like turning red right now you know right. like people from traditional cultures like this is what americans are doing i mean come on yeah <laughs> like third graders singing um it's it's actually embarrassing kind of but yeah yeah well you know people some people they just maybe they just bloom later or in life or something or i don't know or you just, well, obviously you just hadn't heard the song. Um, so let's see. Uh, let's, there's a couple questions here. Here's a question from P. I think this is, uh, ask him about LA Symphony and Project Load, please. Do you, do you see that question? Yeah, I'm not familiar. I know that I've heard of LA Symphony. Um, Are they venues or what? That was a, I think it was a group. Uh, I remember a song in the like, 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 okay, that they had come out with that was popular. There was like one they had a hit that I knew about from that group. Okay, um, yeah, somebody was saying that I either looked or sounded like somebody from uh, a, either a solo artist or a guy from a, a certain rap group. Oh, um, maybe, okay. maybe that's something they're referencing there. But <laughs> I, I haven't heard him though, so I, I don't know. Um, what similarity is it they're they're talking about either it's i don't know if it's like the style of flow or the voice itself i don't know i'm not sure yeah it was like one of those i think it was like an underground you know hip-hop um maybe you know this guy six <laughs> two yeah yeah that's a, yeah that's a buddy of mine um okay. we go way back uh he he he's the one that i had um referenced in the documentary a number of times that i've known since since childhood and uh that's a song from my first album i put together in i think it was 2012 or 14 and um random song title don't know why i called it that 
And uh, yeah, that was that was the the chorus. I'm in that six two dungeon, and then for whatever reason, like it just caught in the group, and everyone thought it was either catchy or funny, and they just start kind of randomly saying that. <laughs> well, thank you for watching, uh, Mr. It's Phils. Um, let's see. Was there another question? Um, oh, here's an interesting one. Uh, just wondering about Orthodox view of freestyle ciphers. Hey, I got a I, same question here. I have uh, never thought to ask that. <laughs> it seems like, uh, you know, some of these ciphers are like, uh, you know, obviously I don't think there's we have any saints or holy fathers who have commented on this because this is a new phenomenon. Yeah. Maybe. Well, so, but I've seen some of these videos of ciphers where like everyone's in a circle around these people and they're rapping. And it's almost like some of these guys, you can't believe that they're freestyling. It's almost like in their mind, like a portal to another dimension is opened up. And, you know, like, how is it possible that this guy's freestyling these, these lyrics, like, you know, in real time? Yeah. It's it's almost they're, like they're tapping into some undercurrent, some spiritual like channel or something like that. Yeah, we, we used to live for those. I mean, 24-7, me and the boys were just like getting ciphers going. If we were going to a party, we're catching a cipher in the backyard. If we're going to a, a sh play a show somewhere, we're doing ciphers in the car beforehand or in the parking lot or wherever, you know. Um because that's where you like really get to just get the energy pumping and it's just a free exchange of ideas. Right. So I will say that there are definitely some talented freestylers out there, but there also are guys that are rehearsing lines from memory or they'll have, for example, certain things that they've gone over so many times that even if they are freestyling, they know how to make that connection and bring in something that they thought of from something they oh, either okay. wrote, you know, I've sure. had that happen to me a few times. Um, but yeah, in terms of, uh, and what the view from an Orthodox perspective would be, I guess there would be some sense of caution because it is sort of like a stream of consciousness yeah. Yeah. and there would be some potential risk for saying, I don't know, whatever, you know? Yeah, I mean, like, you might slip some... It would be easy to fall... Like, for us, it would be easy to fall back and, like, using some profanity or something, you know? Because right. that's what you used to do when you were freestyling, you know? Right. Like, like a go-to was a... Use a curse word. <laughs> right, exactly, yeah. Fillers. Um, were there, let's see if there's been any other questions come up. What? Oh, good question. What's your top three favorite MCs from Mark Rattel? That's a good question. It would depend on um, which genre. If I were going with Christian rap, that would change that answer. But if I were just going to go generally speaking, uh, it also depends on which era of my life I'm referring to because I had different major influences at different points in time. So when I first broke into 
hip hop in a serious capacity and got exposed to the underground scene, it was immediately Crooked Eye and um, Cannabis and Jedi Mind Tricks, you know, and that whole just like crazy lyrical, crazy punchlines, all those guys, you know, um, big pun, huge one for me. Um, apathy was another another really big one. Uh, as as far as who I'd hold at the top now, man, it's almost embarrassing. I've fallen off so much since entering into, you know, first into the entering into the faith. There was a period of time I legit just like stopped listening to the radio for a while because of my newly so to speak, purified sensibilities. It was like almost, you know, offending my, my senses to be listening to the radio. And so I just started listening to like classical music for a while. Um, Cause I was driving around on deliveries all the time. And then I was just listening to nothing. And then I was listening to apologetics. Right. So I kind of got detached for a long time and then entering after into the faith into marriage and parenthood, now I'm like two layers removed. So <laughs> people are like, who's your favorite artist? I'm like, uh, let me think. I haven't listened to anyone in like eight years, you know? Uh, yeah, it, I, I definitely would name those guys um, just like off the top of my head. Uh, if I were to, you know, have a few minutes to think about it, I'd, I'd be able to, to probably think of a couple of more, but I don't want there to just be like, you know, a dead strip okay. silence for a few minutes here. <laughs> I, uh, I would have, you know, I, like I said, Tupac was one of the biggest, was my biggest influence in terms of a rapper, but I would have to say my, I think that the best rapper of all time was Rakim. Just the, like the way, like, uh, not that I listened to him a lot, but I mm. recognize from like when I did what I did listen to what he did was like the, like he just made it flow. So like the way he, like he made it, he like changed the game. Really. He really did. He like, he brought rap from like into the, the, the golden era, the um like he, he, he you know, he took it like to the next level, I think. Um, you And uh, of course, young penitent would have to be my third. Um, <laughs> I like my style. I like my own rap. Um, but yeah, here's, you, you did mention Jedi mine and that's like a, he's like underground, like, um, you just, you just get fired up listening to Vinnie Paz, you know? Oh yeah, man. And then of course, if I went more mainstream, uh, you've got your obvious guys. I mentioned eight mile earlier. Uh, so Eminem obvious for, you know, pretty much any serious hip hop inquirer, just in terms of storytelling mechanics bar structure um dude was crazy you know and he's still going at it so i haven't heard any of this stuff for a couple of years but right um and then you know you know kendrick I, I got a lot of you know respect for the dude and j cole um yeah just to name a few shane says orthodox mixtape needed I hear you, brother. It's been on my mind for sure. Yeah. Um, the last time, right before my son was born, I, uh, I put, uh, I, I completed a project. I was literally rushing to get it done because he was on the way. And I knew as soon as he got here, I was going to totally shift my priorities. 
And uh, that was the last time that I worked on anything. So I'm mm. glad I glad I listened to my, my gut and, you know, got to it. But um, that one was, you know, Christian themed. I wasn't Orthodox yet. So I have listened through it again since then. And there were there's nothing explicitly like I wouldn't say heretical, but there are certain areas where I, I would have worded something different sure. or just excluded it just because the theme might give a, a different impression. Um, and so just, you know, as a uh, small caveat to anyone that goes to listen to that one, uh, that album was called Slave. And it was, you know, the theme was being enslaved to the Lord, who is now king over everything. And I uh, really, I put a lot into that one. I think that was easily the catchiest project and most solid I put together from start to finish, um, where I didn't feel like there were, you know, all previous projects I felt like had solid songs and then some weak spots where it kind of fell off for a while. Um, but this last one, I really polished it for a couple of years and I had like 30 songs and then I smashed it down to six and then it built its way back up to 15 and I got it back down to 11. I was like, I only want the top ones on there, you know? So that one came out pretty solid, but I definitely do want to try and put another one together now. Um, as soon as time permits. <laughs> yeah, I would actually, I would love to do another album. It would be fun, but it's like not... Uh, it's not a focus for me right now. And like, yeah. um, so I don't know if anything, I mean, well, you know, God alone knows if I'll ever do anything and more rapping in the future, but uh, I'm kind of focusing on my channel, all my energies and creative energies going into this channel right now. Yeah. I hear you. Same. I'm, I'm definitely planning on putting out more content and uh, it's, I, I do want to, if I'm going to make music, I think, I'd probably be more prone to put together a short EP or maybe just a single yeah, here yeah. and there and just release stuff individually. That's always something that would probably be more feasible. Um, but in terms of like evangelism, that's definitely where more of my focus is these days. Uh, and I mean, there's just so many things I used to do that I just don't have time for anymore, like playing video games and all that. I'd rather be reading a book by one of the saints or the fathers, you know, like there's so much stuff that I could do that would be more constructive and more productive. So you said you, uh, you told me that you had a couple ideas for videos. Do you, what kind what, what do you think you might do on your channel next? Yeah, I have a, a, a variety of ideas. Um, you know, I'm uh, passionate about apologetics, so that's going to be an obvious area. And, um, to kind of try and switch things up. I was thinking of doing a couple of comedy skits as well, because I've from time to time gotten some funny little ideas of little sketches I could put together. And that's something I used to do back when vine was a thing. And uh, then that tanked and went under and I kind of just stopped doing that for a while. But um, yeah, between that and just putting together some videos that will um, hopefully do the same thing as my testimony, but in greater depth, right? So the testimony was sort of just a general, broad scope way of covering the journey. Um, but I wanted to definitely hit some more specific areas of theology and 
in a as loving and charitable way as possible critique the protestant presuppositions that i myself am familiar with having held on to some of those myself previously and uh just sort of do a compare and contrast and some breakdown analysis sort of things um one thing that i've done on facebook was put together these sort of syllogisms uh in the form of illustrations where i'll show uh the logical progression from one premise to the next on one issue particularly like for example authority or um the issue of the doctrine of the church and so just take it through if this then that right and just try and show people how if you adopt these premises then it will necessarily logically lead to this conclusion and i think it helps if you have a visual aid and so that's why i like to kind of do these illustrations and it makes it a little more stimulating to have something that is accompanied with the argument that you're making yeah uh, yeah yeah i mean i think youtube's a very fruitful 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 uh, field for uh, evangelism so i encourage you with with all of that um here's a question i i could take a stab at this one um what is uh what about using music for evangelism? Evangelism. What's the orthodox perspective of? Now, this is actually kind of a tricky question. Um, I did an interview with uh, uh, who? Who was it? Um, skipping my mind. Uh, the guy from the. What was the interview? Uh, <laughs> the interviews I just watched of yours were Brother Nathaniel and Abbot Trifon. Okay, um, I can actually go to my channel here while, while I'm, um, let me see. Oh, right, right, Justin Marler. Sorry, Justin, that I forgot your name. Uh, Justin Marler, who he, he's, I asked him this question and he's been thinking about, so he, Justin Marler was, you know, he was a monk for a long time. And he wrote songs, Christian songs as a monk and traveled the United States performing his songs with the blessing of his abbot. I specifically asked this question to him, and he said, 100% yes. Got that? Okay. 100%. And he, this is a question he's been thinking about, mulling over for, for decades. And he is a guy who gets, like, people come and write him emails and letters and, you know, send him messages on Facebook and say, you know, I went and saw your band, and now I'm Orthodox. Like that just happens to him continuously. Wow. You know, that's cool. So, you know, I mean, some you might ask this question to a priest and the priest will say, you know, that's not orthodox. That's not how we do evangelism, you know, not blah, blah, blah. But now the, the distinction I would draw here is that um, if you are coming from if the music is coming from the heart, then, yes, it can be uh, then, yes, it can be effective if you have an idea Hmm, what are the kids? What are the kids like today? Oh, you know, this is in your mind. If you're coming from your mind, it's not going to work. If you're like, oh, the kids like rap music, I'm going to go and do rap. You know, um, if it's kind of this rational idea that you have and oh, this is going to that it's like from top down. No, it's got to be like from the bottom up from your heart. Otherwise, it's not going to be good music anyways, you know, so that is my take on it. Do yeah. you have anything to add? Yeah, I mean, you know worship is or rather music is an inextricable aspect of worship 
And um, so, I mean, a lot of the, the way that my mind is wired, this is something that I'm currently trying to work out and probably will um, for the foreseeable future because of how I'm wired to, to understand that evangelism is not primarily arguments. It's not primarily um, an intellectual exchange, right? It is those things, but because of the way I think, I have to remind myself that it's not always about presenting a very convincing argument in a debate or whatever, you know? So when we look at the scriptures and the history of the church, what was primarily serving as the vehicle for evangelism was people witnessing changed lives. They were witnessing people actively refusing not to worship anyone other than God. And so seeing true worship and what it looks like is something I think it's important to keep in mind, um, especially considering, you know, the scripture that says that faith comes by hearing. And so taking that into consideration, when we're, you know, putting music together, assuming that we are making sure that we're not being irreverent or misrepresenting um, the theology or the church in some way or denigrating the saints in some way, um, then I think that that's absolutely, I mean, it's, it, it, it's a main aspect of evangelism, right? Is you, uh, one thing I mentioned in the testimony is that, you know, my, my mother who is not a Christian went with me one day to, um, an Orthodox church. The first Orthodox church I ever set foot into was a Russian church in, uh, Austria. And I had gone once on my own and then I insisted she go with me. She resisted. And then eventually she said, okay, okay, I'll go. She went. And upon setting foot in this church, my mom was moved to tears. And as far as I'm concerned, that's because there is something innately in us that recognizes what is missing from our lives, from our souls. And it is being offered right there in front of you in the liturgy. And so as far as making rap music goes, obviously it's not going to be liturgical. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean, you can definitely construct the music in a way that uh, is going to resonate with the generation of this day and age, you know, that will in some way, even if it's just vaguely referring to orthodox themes you know just got to plant the seed that's all so uh you are now you moved you, you tell this in your in your video you moved from california to oklahoma right is that correct yeah what are you doing out there now what is <laughs> a whole lot of nothing man <laughs> i mean we are in the middle of nowhere, you know, um, but anybody that is, you know, Christian 
uh, especially if you live in California right now, knows, or if you've ever been there um, recently, then you know it is, it's not what it was 30 years ago. You know, things, it has, it has unfortunately fallen from its former glory. And I would have loved to have stayed there. I tried my hardest to look for homes in the state so that we would still be within reasonable proximity to friends and family. But, uh, you know, in terms of affordability, it just wasn't feasible. So uh, with everything going on there in terms of the legislation, what they're doing in schools, what they're teaching kids, the crime rates, the, you know, homelessness, um, and then everything is just crazy, busy, crazy crowded, crazy expensive. I was just like, this is just not where I need to be raising my family. So primarily for the sake of our son, um, is what really motivated us to start that search. And I was between a number of different states that all shared. Uh, I had this whole you know chart put together where I had all these criteria that I was looking for. And so I was looking at like Alaska and Arkansas and Michigan and Oklahoma and you know a number of other places. And we just kept coming back to Oklahoma. Um, and so we ended up here. We happened to have a friend here that we'd been talking with who was also inquiring into orthodoxy. And so we ended up staying with them for a few months while we were house hunting. And uh, eventually we found our place. We're sitting on just a little over two acres and uh, we're totally overwhelmed because, uh, you know, we've got no one else around. You know, we've mm. got no one here to uh, we've still got some sense of a safety net. You know, I've had family that uh, helped us when we were in a bind and we've had people come visit us, drive insane distances. I mean, we've been super blessed, so not complaining at all. You know, we've, we've got more than I could have ever bargained for. Um, glory to God. And you're raising, are you raising cattle? No, <laughs> uh, we get, we get cows on our property every now and then oh, okay. because the, when, uh, so they're on sort of a cycle when the farmers come and take them away and then a new, load comes and it's you know that there's all the little calves and when they're that small their legs are still small enough they can fit in between the cattle guard and so they'll come across onto our land sometimes and then um, actually i just I, I just carried a cow a couple of weeks ago <laughs> wow they, they come in and they forget how to get out so i had to physically lift it up and carry it out <laughs> that, that must have been that couldn't have been easy it was not. <laughs> I didn't limber up beforehand, so fortunately, I didn't pull anything. But yeah, they're heavy. Um, you did. You one more thing that you talked about in the video was you had uh, stomach issues, and this is something I've had. Um, I've had to like cut out gluten con completely out of my life, you know, out of my diet and uh, other things. Is this something you've attributed to, like uh, all of the forced stab stabs and stuff that you had? growing up or, or have you uh, been able to like address that problem? Yeah, it's a distinct possibility. Um, I do still, you know, struggle with these issues. Um, as recent as this week, I had a pretty severe flare up and uh, I do also, there are times where, you know, I, I admit I just get um, 
less careful, you know, a little bit, you could say a little bit lazy, a little bit relaxed mm. in my mm -hmm. regiment because I know which things to avoid. Um, but then on the opposite end, when everything is in, you know, a really good state and not inflamed in the way it's supposed to be, I can eat pretty much whatever I want without consequence. Uh, so okay. it makes it really kind of tricky. It's, it's complicated to figure out, let alone explain it. But yeah, um, I have wondered if it's a result of, you know, the, uh, I mean, the schedule is so much longer for yeah. us now than it was for my parents growing up. There was like maybe six or 10, I don't mm -hmm. know, you know, yeah. for them versus for us, it was a lot more. And for now, the next generation, I mean, it's like obscenely long, right? This list of, you know, that and, uh, you know, growing like they started putting they started growing Roundup uh, ready wheat in the 90s. And that's when yeah. they started. Uh, and, you know, wheat is like their main food and they spray they spray uh, Roundup on the wheat, the ripe wheat berry immediately pro two weeks prior to harvesting. Wow. So that, as a desiccant so that it's easier to harvest the wheat. So people are eating Roundup, and that's another one of the big uh, reasons people. But I think your generation, I you know, I might not, you know, my generation was not as quite as common. But I think people like in the you're like probably ten years younger than me. You you guys have this quite um, more frequently. These kind of issues. Um, yeah. Shame says carnivore is very healing, and I, I have am, heard that. Yeah. 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 I've been doing keto recently and kind of people have been telling me that, you know, keto leads to carnivore. And, uh, okay. I don't know, maybe eventually I'll, I might try that. I made today my first batch of, uh, uh, pemmican. Uh, do you know what that is? No, I'm not familiar. So pemmican is like a dried, uh, you get dried meat, you, uh, you dry it out and then you mix it with animal fat and a little bit of salt and it becomes a little bar. And this is the food that the native Americans ate and the trappers and uh, explorers and stuff. It's like the perfect food for keto. So I just made that my first batch came out today. Um, it came out pretty good, I think. Uh, yeah. That's something we've been trying to learn. My wife's been, uh, you know, doing, making her own uh, starters for, for bread and, things that she makes herself. And I was looking up videos on, because this is what you do when you are interested in trying to homestead at some point mm. in the, which we are in the future, you know, growing your own food and becoming at least achieving some degree of self sustainability. So you're not a hundred percent reliable and dependent on the system, um, which is, you know, terrible as we saw during the lockdown stage, because <laughs> people couldn't get the things they wanted or needed. But uh, yeah, I've watched videos about um, something similar to what you just described. There was one that was about like a certain kind of bread that the, uh, the you know, back in the frontier days that they had. And it's like lasts like forever, you know. And, oh, right, right. Yeah, was that so, hardtack or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Well... Uh, you know, I think that's kind of, that's kind of the, uh, I think that's the interview. I one more question. This is a question I kind of like to ask a guest, most guests. Uh, what is the day in the life of Macarius Johnson? What does that look like? 
Well, I'm uh, doing a lot of the same things I was doing when I first discovered apologetics and became obsessed only now in the orthodox vein. So um, I work at the airport and I uh, get up early on a lot of days because we open at 4 a.m. So I'm up out of bed before three. And so I'm up long before the sun and on the road. And I'm about 30 minutes out from where I work. And because of that, I have long time to listen to certain things, podcasts and lectures and um, audiobooks and things like that. So I still do a lot of that because I always like to be learning more, especially now that I'm going to be trying to put content together. It behooves me to absorb as much as possible. And uh, then once I get to work, because I work in a, a small town or it's a relatively size town, I guess is maybe 20 to 60,000 population in the city where I am, but, uh, it's a regional airport. So it's still relatively small comparatively speaking. And so there's a lot of downtime. You know, we, we get days like yesterday where I was incredibly busy all day because we had all of these military jets and, uh, you know, commercial traffic coming in and out of there. But on a lot of days, there will be three to four hours of just nothing. You know, we finish up all the necessary things on Monday and Tuesdays, our truck inspections and all the other stuff that we got to do to make sure our fuel quality is where it's supposed to be. And then I'm pretty much right back to listening to my podcasts and lectures for hours at a time um, because, you know, there's just not much else to do. And I don't want to be in the habit of doom scrolling or just mindlessly, you know, browsing Instagram and right. uh, scrolling around, you know, for hours. And then you look up and you're like, what time is it? What day is this? So I, I try my best to I've got a stack of books sitting there next to me at work, you know, that I still am wanting to get through and uh, trying to just fill up my time like that, you know, just. um yeah, that's about it, man. I mean, we're we're trying to gear ourselves towards not to think in the the, the way that we, you know, tend to in the, the Protestant ethos where when you think of eschatology, there's a lot of hype behind the doomsday scenario. But looking at all the writing on the wall, I do try to stay pretty actively prepared as we are instructed to do to keep our lamps trimmed and to know the season, know the times. Right. So um, that's, that's really where my mindset is, uh, especially having health problems that keep me consciously aware of my own mortality. Um, so, you know, it's time is short, both in terms of the uh, grand narrative, as well as my own inner monologue, you know, in both senses, I am keenly aware of, uh, of the time. So I try to spend it appropriately to the best of my ability. I mean, sure. I slack, I slack off as much as the next guy. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're making the best of the time you have uh, available there. Um, uh, that's something I've done in the past when I've had downtimes at certain, certain jobs, they tend to keep me busy these, this, you know, a little bit more these days, but, uh, 
Um, so I think that's the interview. Um, Macarius, that was a great interview. Had a good time. Good to meet you. Yes, uh, yes. I feel like you're like my brother over there because you're my uh, rapper, bro uh, little brother. You're in, uh, you're in uh, Rokor too, which I am. So like that's we're in the same uh, church. So um, you know, I sort of definitely feel kinship with you here. So thank you for coming yes. on. Absolutely, Any, brother. Anything you want to uh, tell us about where to find you or follow you? All the anything, anything last you want to say? Um, music wise, uh, since we've covered that a bit, um, I'm on both YouTube and SoundCloud. Uh, when I re originally released my album, I hit one of those um, distribution sites that just sort of shoots your music to mm. all the different, you know, aggregates it everywhere. But I, mm. um, I think you have to like annually resubscribe or something because I checked the link a while back and it wasn't active anymore. So, oh, it's, what is that? What is that um, website? Or? The the site that I originally used was DistroKid. Oh, okay. Yeah, and. Uh, hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't think that one's active, but you can still, if you just type in uh, my artist name, Juco Law, J-U-C-O Law, um, it'll, it, it automatically created a, like a topic on YouTube. So you'll find the whole album as a topic okay. uh, on YouTube. And then on SoundCloud, you'll find all that latest album and all the old stuff as well. And, uh, and yeah, I mean, if you, if anyone wants to, you know, reach out to me on my socials on, um, Instagram or, or Facebook, then, uh, I'd always be, you know, happy to talk there too. And you got your website also. Yeah. I haven't been, uh, been writing or adding anything new to that lately because I've sort of switched focus to the channel, but okay. I definitely do, um, want to keep putting, stuff on there eventually because um, right. because writing is is a central part of my craft so if you go to my uh youtube channel orthodox soul um and go to the about you'll see all my socials and the website and all of those i made sure to update that recently so you can find all of that stuff there i uh and i put a uh, <clears throat> a link to his youtube channel in the description below so all you got to do is go down and click the link Thank you everybody for watching and uh, we'll catch you all on the next, on the next one. All right. Thank you, brother.